When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seems like it's been far too soon considering three months ago the Cavs were projected to be the number one seed, but the WFMI Cavs cast is back mid-April, and we are doing a season recap, which, which really sucks. During the first round of the playoffs, and we're recapping the Cavs season, but here we are. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Floha, like usual. Alongside me, Seth Wanamaker, the guy that actually went to the playing game against the Hawks. We will get into that and much, much more. Recap the season, recap the play-in, just our general thoughts on the season. Just anything Cavs really, just whether it's disappointing or exciting or whatever. But we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And as usual, like always, this podcast this pod, this podcast is brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. Seth, first and foremost, how was the game Friday night? I know down to, I was downtown. It was incredible. The atmosphere was incredible. I'm but I'm sure it did not compare to being inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. It was the most fun I've had at a Cavaliers game since probably 2018 when I was at a game where LeBron hit a a buzzer beater to beat the Pacers, I think, when they were down 2-1 in 2018. The atmosphere was incredibly electric. Uh, I think mixed the the Cavalier play-in home game with the Guardians home opener. Uh, it was beautiful to see how, you know, everyone outside before the game donated a little bit of money to the casino, you know, as is tradition before a Cavalier game uh, had an absolute blast in the first half. And like, I have such mixed feelings with this pod, like this did not expect, I know there were underdogs and I think a lot of people thought the Hawks were going to win, but you know, a little bit of fandom had me thinking they they were going to advance on to play the Miami Heat. So uh, today's going to be tough for me because we're it was a hell of a season, um, and the Atlanta game was uh, had its ups and downs. So I'm I'm hanging in there, doing okay. But the atmosphere to answer your question was electric. It was so much fun in there, man. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean the atmosphere. We were on me and my brother and some buddies were on East Fourth in the corner alley, the corner alley was, I mean, every bar we went into basically was hopping and people were like, I'd say 75% of the TVs are probably Cavs game. 25% were uh guardians game just because the guardians went, I think they went down. I f- totally forget. I think they went down early. So everyone just had their sole f- focus on the Cavs. but yeah, I mean, just being downtown, it brought back so many memories of the LeBron led years when like every single playoff game downtown was happening, no matter well. And the fact that it was a Friday night, I mean, if it was like a Tuesday night, maybe it wouldn't have been as many people downtown, but like Friday night home opener for the guardians, it just stinks that the team has been Oh, two. there was like so much hype going into it. And then they go Oh, and two. And it's just like, I don't know, but I guess let's get into the Hawks game a game that I thought they had won in the first half. Probably the Cavs thought they had one in the first half, and then they uh, stunk it up in the second half a lot, both offensively and defensively. 
First and foremost, I don't know. Do you want to talk about defense? Do you want to talk about how Trey Young did Trey Young things and just dominated the Cavs in the second half? I don't, whatever you want to talk about first, I'm down. Yeah, I, maybe we stop after we talk about the environment and then we just fast forward this entire segment. <laughs> um, I, I I guess the first thing that pops into my mind, and it it's muted a little bit by the fact that the Cavs lost, but Jared Allen's impact and it was pregame when he came out to shoot shots. It was in the, you, you know, the, the warm up and the announcement when he came out and played. Um, I was just really happy to see him out there. Like even before the tip off, it was just, you could feel it in the crowd. Uh, when he was announced, the place went bonkers even more so for, you know, compared to guys like Garland and Mobley who should be getting the shine. I mean, the place erupted when Jared Allen got announced and he was jumping around and doing stuff pregame. And man, that was that was so much fun to see him out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the your point. That's the big takeaway from the game is uh, Trey Young and, and to me a little bit defensive rotations who the Cavs had out there in the second half we're probably going to talk all about it but man there's a lot to break down from this game I I guess let's talk defense first um second half adjustments I guess the Hawks made them offensively their literally second half adjustment was which I, I I'll never understand why NBA like Luka Doncic Trey Young Seth Curry I mean, Darius is hopefully going to be like one of those players. If you want to find a mismatch, just go set a screen with your big guy and the switch is immediate. I don't, I will never understand that. I guess I'm not paid millions of dollars for a reason, but like, why are we switching so easily? Every single possession in the second half, it seemed like Trey Young would come down the court, do his little hand wave. I mean, I guess it wasn't Clint Capella because he got hurt, which is another whole thing because that was a flagrant foul one on that. I, I'm still on, in the belief that if he didn't get hurt, that's a flagrant one, and that would have changed. That could have been like a four-point swim. But, um, yeah, I forget who the their big man was, but he would come up and set the screen, immediate switch. It would either be Jared Allen or Lowry Markin and Darden Trey Young, immediate mismatch. I I guess this the Tower City lineup, the three seven-footers, is fun during the regular season. But the Hawks showcased why maybe it isn't the thing to do in the uh, the playoffs when teams really hunker down and take advantage of mismatches. Because if you have three seven footers, Evan Mobley is probably the only one that can guard Trey Young one on one, if that. And you know that whoever Evan Mobley is guarding isn't going to be that guy that sets the screen. It's going to be the guy who's guarding or being guarded by Lowry or Jared Allen. There has to be a way for that not to happen. I just don't, I guess, like I said, I'm not paid millions of dollars to figure this out, but there has to be a way to not allow that to happen. Cause Trey Young took advantage of it, whether it was a step back three, a three from the logo, acting like he was to take a three and getting by and get going in for a layup or like a little five foot. I, I don't know. It just Trey Young. He is a great player. I don't like rooting for him, but he is he plays the villain very, very well, especially on the away court. I think he like we showed with like he showed last year in Madison Square Garden, he uses that negative energy to like get in his own head and then just goes off. And that's what he did in Rack and World Field last Friday night. I think he ended up with like 36 points. He had th- six or five or six at halftime. So 
I guess where we're going to start is defensive adjustments. What can we say about Tower City, the three seven-footers going forward? And, I mean, let's be honest. Yes, the regular season's important, but if the Cavs don't make the playoffs next year, it will be a huge disappointment, let's be honest. So what can the Cavs change going into the postseason next year to have this not happen again? Yep. I, I heard uh I heard a really interesting point. I think it was on radio this morning, ninety-two point three, that it felt like it felt like the Cavs had a really good plan going in. And whether that was Trey adjusting to the Cavs defense or whether it was it was more schematic schematically adjusting. Um, you know, the the Atlanta Hawks kind of countered and punched and, and the Cavs never never punched back and yeah, it's a great point. I think we saw over and over again, Lowry was guarding, I think it was Okongwu for the Hawks, and they're just so eager to switch where I know Trey was getting hot from a jumper perspective, but I mean, having Lowry on Trey is exactly what the Atlanta Hawks want, and just to be so eager to pass it off, it, it's not like Okongwu. You're not worried about Okongwu doing anything other than basically diving to the rim and dunking, and if you have Mobley or Allen in there, I mean, those guys can recover. So, yeah, to your point, I'm not going to act like I'm I'm smarter than the defensive coach or, or JB, but, man, it was tough to see just over and over again Lowry guarded up against Trey and, and it's just such a, a foot speed mismatch. And I think it brought up some great questions. Like one of the notes I, I took down was JB from a culture standpoint, I kind of think of JB in, in two buckets, you know, from a culture and having the guys get bought in and, and um, play hard. I don't know if, if I would have preferred a, a different coach in the NBA this year in terms of getting the guys to play hard um, X's and O's like, it was, I don't, I don't think it's, it's a shocker to say it was a tough game for JB. Um, you know, we, we saw a lot of interesting minutes played or not played, you know, Kevin Love played 10 minutes. Um, Osmond played zero minutes. Stevens played zero minutes. And you and I talked last pod um, previewing the game that, man, this just felt like a, a Stevens game. Um, you knew you had to score, but coincidentally you held the Hawks to, you know, under 110 points. Um, in the, the offense, I'm sorry, <laughs> I know we're talking defense. Um, I'll, I'll pause in the offense, but just defensively in the, in the arena, it felt weird when the Cavs were up 10, 11 points because they were shooting, you know, 50% from three and the Hawks at one point were in the single digits. And so I'm just speaking for myself here. I never got comfortable um, because the Atlanta Hawks were shooting so poorly and, and the Cavs were shooting the lights out, specifically Laurie. Um, but just, you know, defensively, it, it it was kind of definition of a, of insanity at a certain point in that second half where they just did the same thing over and over again. And Trey made a couple of tough shots, but I, I just don't know what you do. Um, I have to shout out myself. I picked Trey Young as the number one player in our draft <laughs> last pod. And, man, I, I – Hurts me to say he was the right. It's pick, all right? your fault. It's all your <laughs> fault. Especially because I picked Darius, and man, I don't want to call the choke job because it's game. It's his first playoff. Well, I guess it's his second play-in game. But I, I sorry, I didn't mean to just Darius. Trey undominated. Darius Garland did the exact opposite. Yep, and uh, and I'll I'll throw it back over to you if you know if we want to transition to offense. I guess my 
my last point defensively, and I thought this was the turning point of the game, was Capella going down. I mean, when when Capella went down, which should have been a flagrant, he grabbed Mobley by like the shoulder neck region and, and dragged him down. Could have been extremely dangerous to Evan Mobley. Turned out Capella essentially hurt himself. When he went down, the Hawks went small, of course, with Gallinari, I think playing a lot of five, a hell of a shooter, and Gallinari is. And the Cavs never went small. I mean, they stayed big, and then that pick and roll killed them. So I, I thought that was the difference. Cavs stayed big. Atlanta played small, and, and their shooters played really well. Bogdanovich played well. Gallinari played well. Herder did fine. It, it was tough. <laughs> it's a tough second half, man. Yeah, the Cavs scored. Okay, so offensively, the Cavs scored 40 points in the second half. I don't care who you're playing. 40 points in the second half, unless you have like a 30-point halftime lead. That's not going to win you many ball games in today's day and age, especially outscored. against Trey Young and the Hawks. Outscored by 16 points in the second half. Yep. Yeah, so they only gave up 56, which isn't that bad, especially when you add in the fact that in the first half they only gave up 51, right? 51? Yeah, 51. But I think – I know you brought up Clint Capella. Everyone thought that that would be a huge advantage for the Cavs when he went down. Clint Pe- Capella played 13 minutes. In those 13 minutes, he was minus 21 which means the Cavs had 21 more points than the Hawks did in the 13 minutes that Capella played. And then I know you brought up uh, Okan. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, the power forward. Okan- oh, yeah, Yeah. So in his 29 minutes, he only had two points, nine rebounds. He was plus 21. So he was plus 21 as a backup big man. And Capella was minus 21. That was literally the difference in the game. Yes, the second half obviously helped that number just because the Hawks freaking dominated the second half, 99% of it at least. But, like, it's crazy that everyone was like, oh, man, Capella went down. That's a huge advantage for the Cavs for the Hawks losing their starting center. And it worked the complete opposite. But I guess that's enough defensively because, I mean, the fact that we're complaining so much about defense and the Cavs gave up only 107 points to one of the hottest offensive teams in the league, I guess says a lot because the Cavs could have easily given up less than 100, especially with how the Hawks shot in the first half. But it's just the thing before we move on off to offense, the thing that I'm just still wrapping my head around is the fact that, like you said, it was like insanity because it just keep, kept happening and happening again. Was that was that the Cavs made it so easy for Trey Young to find a mismatch on a big man? And I mean, whether it's Trey Young, Seth Curry, or Steph Curry, I mean, probably even Seth Curry, to be honest. Um, Steph Curry, any of those really good point cards, if you match them up against a big man, they're most likely either going to score or find a wide open die for an open three because you're going to try to double team. And it seemed like that's what it was in the second half. And Trey Young scored. I mean, he, I know it is a point like middle of the fourth quarter where Trey Young was outscoring the Cavs in the second half. Because he almost had 30 points alone. But I don't know. I, I hate complaining just because the Cats had section, such an exciting season, which we will talk about. But it just, I'm just, I'm, it's one of those things where, like, you know how your parents tell you, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. It was, it was such a tough game. And, you know, the first half went so well. The first quarter was incredible. The the crowd was going absolutely bananas. Mobley made an incredible three. Lowry was heating up. And um, maybe that's our transition point to, you know, offense. Um, you know, at the beginning, 
the way they were hitting their threes and the spacing they were getting probably due to some of those Capella reasons just felt like, okay, Cavs are going to cruise. Um, we weren't taxing Darius Garland early, you know, guys were getting open guys were moving the ball. And then as soon as halftime hit offense, just completely slowed to a crawl and everything after the second half was all ISO ball um, counted numerous times where, it was dribble for the first 18 seconds and then put up a contested shot that wasn't great or give it up to someone else. And I think kind of at least twice in the third quarter where the Cavs turned it over via shot clock violation and just like insane things you cannot do in the, in the essentially the playoffs are called a, a play in game, but the offense got so stagnant after it was so good in the first half. And yeah, what went right in the, in the first half didn't go right in the second half. And then big money Trey took over. Yeah, and Trey Young, man, he's. I love to hate him. I don't hate him. I just, I just like. I guess I, I just like. I know we talked about this last week on the preview, and he actually didn't get that many calls by the referees on Friday night. He just gets so many easy calls. It seemed like, but I mean, all thirty-eight of his points in forty minutes, he was thirteen of twenty-five, four of eleven from three, eight of nine from the free throw line, nine assists, thirty-eight points. They're all well worth it for him. He didn't get any easy free throws i don't think but just and then so trey young dominated darius garland 27 shots which i did not see coming 21 points if you ever have more shots than points it's not a good day for you so he had 21 points nine assists three steals three rebounds but he was nine of 27 from the field one of seven from three that Maybe it was, I don't know. I hope it was just an off game. I know one of my buddies called it a choke job, but I'm I'm not going to call it a choke job because it's just like a one, a one game thing, I hope. I guess we'll find out next April. But like, the Garrett, Darius Garland, we all know he made the leap this year. He's one of the best point guards in the league. He's probably like a top five point guard right now, I'd say, without even looking. I hope I don't, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'd call him a top five point guard right now. But like, you can't have your best offensive player go nine of 27 and expect to win. It's really that simple. No matter, I mean, Lowry Markkinen, he was by far, I'd say the Cavs best offensive player. He was 10 of 17, six of 12 from three, 26 points. Efficient. He made, I mean, he made almost half the team's threes. You couldn't have asked for a better game from Lowry offensively. Defensively is another thing, but then again, him switching on to Trey Young isn't necessarily his fault. It was just like the coaching staff's fault, I guess, but I guess we can focus on Darius or talk about Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley was 6 of 12 with 18 points. Jared Allen, 4 for 4, 11 points. You literally can I know you brought up Jared Allen earlier. You can't ask for much more than that. He was playing with one hand, essentially. There was a couple of times where he went down. I, I think it was he either got hit with the ball or by another player in his left hand, and you could tell it really hurt because he, like, ran down the court like this. So, like, Jared Allen, the fact that he gave the Cavs 36 minutes, 11 points, three rebounds, he wanted that game. Obviously, that's easy to say, too, because all the Cavs wanted that game. But it was just great to see him out there, even though he clearly was not 100%. But just, I guess we'll talk about Darius first. Maybe, hopefully, he'll use this as like a chip on his shoulder going forward, especially this offseason and a huge offseason for him and the Cavs. But nine of twenty-seven, that is completely unacceptable. Yeah, you, you gotta be able to go to something that works. You know, all the all the best players in the league, um, 
you know, they have an array of moves, but come crunch time, they, they're going to go to something that works. Like Chris Paul does his little dribble over the free throw line and one-legged fadeaway. It's just, you know, guys go to, to certain certain plays, certain things they feel comfortable with. Three ball is not always going to fall, but, man, they the Hawks, I'll say, did a pretty good job of throwing a lot of bodies at Darius. I think it was DeLon Wright, who is pretty big. He's like 6'4", 6'5". He was playing a lot on Darius. Um, just in general, I, I didn't think the Cavs attacked Trey as much as maybe they could have. I mean, when you're playing a guy that that's he's so dynamic – I'm in the mindset of make him expend as much energy as physically possible on defense because you know he's going to give it to you on offense. And he was able to hide a little bit at times on a Coro and Rondo, and it's just tough. I understand you can't play everyone 48 minutes, but, yeah, I I thought it was was tough – on those possessions where I would just watch Trey and he would run around and maybe, you know, have to get over like one screen that's off ball. That's not even part of the play seemingly. Um, I thought that was tough, but yeah, you know, Darius had a tough game and I was really curious to see his post game interview. Um, and he, he basically summed it up as basketball. You're not going to make shots every game. Um, but he thinks that, you know, the Cavs are good and they can't wait for, for next year to get back. And so I was encouraged to hear, you know, he had, he, he was pretty down and like, that's, that's kind of what you want as a Cavs fan. Like he, he took it to heart and, and he's, he's ready to go in the next season. Um, he talked about his teammates and yes, yeah, unacceptable. You know, if that happens again, <laughs> another couple games or in a playoff series, you, you start to think and wonder, but you know, the, the one thing I'll say for, uh, for Darius's credit is, man, the Cavs put so much on him this year. I mean, he was carrying the team the last three, four months of the season after Rubio went down. And I think at a certain level, his play did taper off a bit, specifically when Jared Allen went down. But, man, they, they put a lot on his plate. And so I, I just can't wait to see Darius with some pieces around him again next year. And I, I, I'm pretty confident he's going he's gonna to have a nice bounce back season, but also, you know, playoffs if, if, if they get there. Man, if they don't get there, we're gonna have some major issues. To be honest, um, before we go on, oh, so going back to that hiding Trey Young defensively, I said prior to the game I was hoping that the Cavs would decide to start Karis Levert just so that the Hawks couldn't hide Trey Young defensively to start the game if Isaac Okoro started. JB Bickerstaff did, in fact, start Karis Levert. So, I mean, there could be other reasons, but one of the key reasons I'm sure was so that Young would actually have to do something on the defensive end of the floor. But like you said, I mean, in the 22 minutes that Okoro was on the floor, on the floor or the 15 minutes that Rondo was, Trey just hid. I mean, not hid, but it was very easy for him to save his energy for offense when he could guard Rondo or, or Okoro. We want Rondo and Okoro to be a lot more offensively than they are but they are the players that they are, they were. I mean, there's a huge reason why the Cavs offense took such a hit when Ricky Rubio went down. There was no the Cavs were not going to ever make up for what Ricky Ricky Rubio brought to this team, unfortunately. We all know that. It's just I guess in the grand scheme of things, injuries freaking suck, man. Jared Allen wasn't 100%. Ricky Rubio, Colin Sexton, Evan Mobley was hurt. Darius Gar- which is another thing. Darius Garland's back injury he like missed like the first three games after the All Star break, and then there were reports that he wouldn't be one hundred percent until the off season when he can really get some major rest and work in. But like once he came back, those back injuries went silent. It was it was or back rumors went silent. It was really weird. I don't know if that maybe was maybe like a lingering effect. But all in all, 
injuries stink. I would have loved to see how far this team could have gotten this year. If I mean, even if like Ricky, I'd even injuries happen. We all know that, but the Cavs lost so many key guys that it's crazy to think of what could have been. And that's, that's the thing that stinks the most because the Cavs will never have this season back. Yes. They out far out or out um, exceeded their expectations, but like, it's amazing to think that even if they had Ricky Rubio, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley and Colin Sexton, man, I mean, this team would have easily been a top three seed, not out in the playoffs. It just, I guess the recap of this season, I, I don't know if we're talking recap yet, but the recap of this season is injuries suck and what could have been. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. Man, what could have been? Uh, boy, I just have to take a deep breath for a second because what a loaded comment and, and point that is. Just thinking about a Ricky Rubio-led offense when Darius Garland can go get actual rest on the bench and the chemistry. I mean, Chetty Osmond didn't play this game. Osmond and Rubio had incredible chemistry this year. Osmond was like a third or fourth best player on this team for a big stretch. Like he was shooting 40% from three. He was so good. And when, when Rubio went down, I mean, he, he basically not that, not that far after went into the the doghouse of JB and he didn't play at all. Didn't play a single minute. So uh, yeah, I, uh, injuries are brutal and man, Rubio, Rubio's injury was just so big to me. I saw a few polls about, you know, what was the biggest injury this year? We didn't see a ton of of Sexton before he got hurt. Uh, we saw a lot of Rubio before he got hurt, and man, that that was a huge one. Um, yeah, if, if if I can if I can comment on refs, and then I think um, I think it's good to to go back to the season. So I'm not gonna complain um, overly about the refs. I thought they officiated Trey pretty well. Um, I didn't see any like ticky tacky fouls, but you know the one thing that the one thing that was tough. There are two things that I was monitoring pretty closely. Um, that, that didn't get called. And I just, it was tough. One was there, there was a blatant, um, blatant rebound by the Hawks on the side of the court. I was on where the guy was foot was on the line. It was evident. Didn't call like that's going to happen, whatever. But I think the, they, they went down and scored a three. So that's just, you know, that's just a tough, tough spot. Ref didn't see it. They go down and shoot a three and make it. So a little three point swing, the other play, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you kind of put this in your vault because it was a huge play. So I want to get your perspective on this one. So the Cavaliers had a wide open three in the corner. Kevin Herter um, was trying to get out to the wide open three. There was no chance he was going to get out there. Jared Allen was in his way. Jared Allen was in a still position, you know, getting ready to kind of, you know, have a screen for him essentially. And Kevin Herter just absolutely bowled him over. And the Cavalier player, I apologize, I'm for, I'm forgetting who made it, but he, he sunk it. I think it was Darius. They're Darius, okay. Um, I think it was Darius. 
and, and Kevin Herter hit him, you know, a nanosecond before the the three pointer went up and in, and they ended up calling it a you know a foul on Kevin Herter and, and wiped off the the big three point play. And just maybe before I kick it to you for just your perspective, so I completely understand um, the notion that Herter fouled Allen before Darius took the shot. However, as I kind of looked it up and, and got a little bit more insight on that call, I'm told that that's an efficient call because there's enough freedom in that call that if if Herter or any defensive player knows that they're going to give up a wide open three, then why don't you just go foul anyone, run into anyone at that point if you know it's a wide open three? So it was my understanding after kind of reading up a, a little bit that the refs did have an opportunity to make whatever call they saw fit but they waved it off and, and I don't know if they gave an explanation or not, but all that to be said, what was your thought on that play? I thought that was a huge play in momentum. All right. So first things first, the Cavs didn't get a home whistle. Go figure. I mean, when was the last time they got one of those that couldn't have been this season? Secondly, I was at the corner alley. I definitely thought, I guess I didn't pay attention to the score. I definitely thought they counted the three and then Dave, uh, Jared Allen and, and one essentially. But I guess going to answer your question again, that's what should have been the call. Darius Garland, they did like a slow-mo replay. He was already in a shooting motion when Jared Allen got fouled, so it would basically be like a continuation. I would have taken it as a continuation, but instead of Darius getting the and one free throw, Jared Allen gets it. So it could have been a four-point play with Darius three and Jared Allen's potential free throw. I guess, like I said, I didn't realize that they didn't count the three, which is ludicrous and I'll be honest, it was complete bullshit now that I realize that they didn't because that is another three points. So you're at the flagrant and that Darius three, that is a five-point swing right there. The Cavs lost by six, by the way. Um, wow, I, I'm dumbfounded right now. I The slow-mo replay, you could easily tell that Darius Garland was already in a shooting motion. No, he did not have the shot off yet. But imagine if Darius Garland was the one that got fouled when Jared Allen did. If he got fouled, they would give him that continuation, right? So like you said, why didn't Darius Garland get the continuation? And like you said again, if you see a really good three-point, well, not really good, a good three-point shooter going for a three, why not just go foul a big guy and not let him get that three off if he's wide open? That's a, that is a very bad – I guess it's not a precedent because it's happened before, but that is a very bad call. It's really, There's no other way to put it. That's a really bad, bad call. It almost feels like the take call that they're trying to get rid of where it's like a two on one on the other side and, and the de- and the defender just goes and grabs a guy because he knows it's a layup. I think the NBA is trying and they're probably going to overrule that this year and and change the rule. And yeah, it just it's just such a big play. And once I I had thought before the play happened that it was just a simple whatever happens first is kind of the ruling. But after kind of digging into it, it's no that, you know, in that specific situation if the defender's smart enough the referees can pick up on that and say nope you know overruled that's a good three as well as the foul and that that just that plus the capella injury i thought were just two huge turning points in the game and where all the momentum was just swinging so i i I didn't want to get too much into the refs i hate to bitch about them but just you know it can't have it (laughs) can't let's Let's hope next season that the Cavs get at least a home whistle because this this season it seemed non-existent. I don't know. Maybe it's because they're so young. I don't know. I just wish they got the uh, the benefit of the doubt at times. And before we move on from the Hawks game, 
I also want to point out that me and you both distressed. Um, I forget who listed Bogdan Bogdanovich is out prior to the game, but then we saw that he was day to day. So we, we said if he plays, that's a huge, um, huge thing for the Hawks offense. I mean, he's a solid shooting guard. And he was, besides Trey Young, you could say that he was the second best player offensively. He was six for eight, two for three from three, five for five from the free throw line with five rebounds, two assists, three steals, and a very efficient 19 points. Trey Young was obviously the difference in the game, but Bogdan Bogdanovich playing was the second biggest difference. And I mean, we both called it out. If he was, we both said if he plays, that is a huge turning point because it makes things much tougher for the to guard the Hawks. And it turned out to be that way. So I just wanted to add that in before we moved on because Bogdan had a huge game. Yeah, 19 points on eight shots. And he he had a couple of huge shots in the first half that kept the Hawks within like 12. You know, he made a couple of big ones in the first half that if he doesn't make those shots, you know, that game's going to 15-16 and maybe the Hawks feel differently about themselves and their chances. So, yeah, he was an absolute monster. Three steals. I mean, hey, would love to see that out of a Coro, right? Love to see yeah. that out of Coro, but yeah, I would love to see that out of a two guard. Which, yep, I guess. Um, right, so that, was we, abs- we, that was an absolute shot from me. I apologize, Coro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we both want. It's one of those things where, like, the two players that I want to succeed the most are Isaac Okoro and the Colin. I guess we'll talk about this too, Colin Sexton, just because it seems like they want to so badly but they just don't have the skills offensively. Well, I guess Colin Sexton does. His problem is defense. Can we, how about this? Can we combine Isaac Okoro and Colin Sexton into one? Yes. You put like, put their height halfway between the two, combine their offense game with the defense. Man, that'd be one heck of a player, to be honest. And they're both so physically gifted and built. Exactly. Man. And their work, their, um, it seems like their work ethic seems incredible. And I mean, it's awesome to root for Isaac Okoro. I guess it's awesome to root for any of your favorite team's players when they're doing well. But like when Isaac Okoro like gets hot and goes off for like 15 or 20 points, which unfortunately was kind of rare this year, it's like you just feel happy for the guy. I don't care if he's making millions or not. You just feel really happy for him. You know what I mean? Oh, man, when he's sinking that corner three, no one was standing up off the couch and cheering more than me, man. I loved it. So... I guess that's enough recap of the Hawks game because that was just like I put in the title. It was a disappointing way to end such an exciting season. I guess the last month or two was a disappointing way to end such an exciting season. But now we transition to just like thoughts on the season as a whole. So not, I guess the bigger picture, we'll talk the bigger picture here. Um, First and foremost, I just want to say that we Seth and I started this podcast on January 27th as we're 30 and 19 Cavs ended. Let's see 44 and 40. So the Cavs went 15. No, geez, 14. And I can't even do math right now. Cause I'm looking at two different tabs. The, so the Cavs, let me go back. The Cavs were 30 and 19 when we started, they ended 44 and 40. So they went 14 and 21 after we started this podcast. So first off, I'd like to apologize. But we are going to continue this podcast in the next season. So hopefully the Cavs do much better. Part of it is our podcast. I'm sure that brought a lot of bad luck. The secondly, 
I mean, Ricky Rubio was already hurt by then, I think. Callan Sexton for sure was. But then, like, it just seemed like in February and March and even April, the injury just piled on. Darius Garland got hurt. Jared Allen got hurt. Evan Mobley. So just general thoughts on the season. I guess I'll go first. What a year. I mean, what a season. The Cavs were projected to have 26 and a half wins, 27 at most sports books. They ended with 44. I mean, if you have 17 to 16 to 17 more wins than Vegas has you at, that's a very good season. Um, I just, like I said earlier, I'm just, the way it ended is what sucks about it because we got our hopes up so high and like the expectations went from zero to like, wow, they can be like a top three seed in the East to getting knocked out of the play in and not even making the playoffs. So like, like I said earlier, it's not like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in how it ended and why it ended, because let's be honest, why it ended injuries. It's as simple as that. It's yes. Dearest Garland was nine of 27 shooting, but if Colin Sexton, Ricky Rubio, Jared Allen's 100%, Darius Garland's even 100% because he had back issues. I can go on and on. Dean, I mean, I know Dean Wade didn't play like that huge of a role, but he was a role player. Um, I don't know. It's just injuries. Like, I, like we both said earlier, injuries suck, man. They really do. Yeah, Dean Wade would have been playing in, in this critical stretch last 10 games. I mean, he, he was a serious role player and he played a you know, hell of good defense. So, yeah, I was. Um, this is obviously a mixed messages type thing. Like, in terms of the season itself, I could not be happier that the Cavaliers have what appears to be two and a half stars on their team. I mean, Darius Garland, star three. Josh is going three. I'll go three. Three. End of season recap. (laughs) Evan Mobley, your odds on favorite to win rookie of the year. And I believe Draymond Green just called him a combination of three future Hall of Famers. So that's an Uh-oh. absolute home run. Wait, hold on, hold on. Is that like the Charles Barkley curse, though? Where like <laughs> if Charles Barkley says it, the complete opposite's gonna happen. We'd be in trouble. <laughs> We'd be in trouble. <laughs> Wait, but not but not to interrupt you, but he I did see Draymond. He said Tim Duncan, who the Chris Bosch, and who was the third one? I believe it was KG. I think it was. I think it was KG. Man, just give me literally seventy-five percent of that. If Evan Mobley can be like anywhere close to either of those three, let alone a combination of the three, my goodness, he. I mean, I think he is going to be a special player. We saw a lot this season already as like a freaking nineteen-year-old. But man, I hope Draymond's right. I really do. But continue on. Yeah, his his exact tweet. Once he figures his body out, forget about it. KG times Bosch with a little bit of Timmy D feel was exactly what was exactly what uh, Draymond Green stated. Please give it to so, me. I mean, the, just the, the Cavs have legitimate stars. I mean, that just just kind of sit and think about that. You will you would take obviously in in past Cavaliers teams. Um, you know, there there was one guy who who you'd put above. Um, of course, Kyrie is incredibly dynamic, but I I would be hard pressed to say. In the future, if you look down a couple years, that the Cavs would have three guys all at a potential level that Allen Mobley and DG, you know, have. And like the the 
the roadmap of where this team could be is so critical. Um, I do want to stay grounded in the fact, I know I've said this before, like every year is different. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward. We don't know for sure who's going to be here, who's going to be injured. So like any opportunity you have, you have to capitalize, but I'll, I'll dream a little bit and, and have some confidence saying this team is going to be good for years down the road. So that's, that's just incredible. And then, you know, something else I liked is, depth pieces. I mean, we saw some awesome basketball from Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Kevin Love. Kevin Love was a finalist, is a finalist for sixth man of the year. Kevin Love, the guy who we couldn't all wait to trade off and and try to get someone back decent for, get a pick for. Um, He played incredible this season. He was up and down a little bit down the stretch, but all things considered, he played awesome. I thought Laurie in his first year was, was pretty good. You know, he had a tough start of the season. He was asked to do things differently defensively, um, but I thought his offense really, you know, really picked up coming down the stretch. And so um, I like that about the season, man. There was so much good um, in terms of like my question marks or, or where I think where there's some serious opportunity or growth is I don't think we came out of this season knowing who the starting shooting guard is going to be um, next year moving forward. I mean, I think it depends on you know what happens with Levert, Okoro, Sexton. I think those are three guys that all could possibly you know firm up that that starting shooting guard position. And there's so many unknowns to that. I, I guess we've talked about it a little bit already. But what w- what's your thoughts, Josh, on Okoro and kind of where he went from last year to this year? Did you see any? significant growth did you see enough growth just kind of curious your thought because i you know you look at this team and, and the two spot is just glaring so you know what's your thoughts on okoro and, and even throw lavert in there okoro is a great shooting well not a great a solid shooting guard for the regular season i think in the playoffs like we saw against the hawks they will take advantage of his mismatch when he when the Cavs are on offense they'll let trey like opponents will let their best offensive player hide on defense against with Okoro. Um I he doesn't even need to be I I've said this for weeks now, like or I mean even months now. If Okoro can give me an efficient 12 to 15 points a game, that is well enough for how good he is as a defensive player. He just needs to like I don't know how many shots you need to take every day in the offseason, but just become a 40 to 45 percent shooter from the three well no my bad from the corner three because let's be honest isaac okoro is going to get a lot of wide open threes there's a reason why he they're wide open because of all five players on the court they will gladly let okoro shoot it out of the five but like if he can just become an efficient shooter from the corner a good slasher we know he's not going to be like a shot creator himself but just be a good shooter from the corner and a good slasher that's all i need um, but speaking shooting guard as a whole, Karis Levert is still under contract one more year. I know he said in his exit interview that he wants to uh, sign an, an extension in Cleveland. This is where he wants to be. But it's one of those things where I know I said this. I forget who I said this about. Maybe it was a Browns podcast. But like, what would you? What? What else is Karis supposed to say? No, I don't want to sign an extension here. This is not where I want to be with one year left on this contract. Like, he wants to get paid, so what else is he going to say? And he's on this team for one more year, so what else is he going to say? But I guess looking at shooting guard, I would say Karis Levert's probably the starting shooting guard if 
the seasons was still going or if the regular season started tomorrow Kara Silver would be the starting shooting guard but that also brings us to Colin Sexton he was another guy like Karis which I he said that he wants to stay he now I think he did he fire Rich Paul or did he just bring on Rich Paul as his agent I forget he he just brought him on so he's now a newly clutch representative um same with Darius Garland true so I don't know what that means um, I know for some agents it's like, well, he's out of the cast price range, but I don't know. Darius Garland, we all know he's going to get the max this summer. I'm assuming he's going to accept it. I forget what the max is for him. It's like five years. I forget what it is exactly. It's five years and some some amount of money. Yeah, um, one one fifty something, I think. Ashton, I will go him out to be honest. Uh, but then again, five years from now, him only getting paid like thirty some million, that might be a bargain to be honest. Given the cap rises, I mean, Steph Curry's would be making like fifty some million. James Harden makes like fifty some million already. Um, but the way I see it is that Karis Levert and Colin Sexton are very similar. Besides their height, we all know Colin Sexton's biggest weakness is defense and the fact that he's like a six foot shooting guard or off ball guard, I guess you'd call it. It'll just be that's probably the biggest question mark this offseason. So I think I'm venturing out a little bit from the starting shooting yard spot. But what do the Cavs do with Colin Sexton? I mean, they already have Karis Avert, but then again, Karis Avert is a free agent after next season. So maybe they re sign Colin Sexton if he takes a team friendly deal. If he wants starting two guard money, I don't think you do it. If he wants six man money, I think you do it. I don't know what those numbers would be. I don't know if I do like a. I know I saw somewhere, maybe it was Bleacher Report, like a uh, four year, $100 million deal. I don't know if I do that for Colin Sexton. I think that's too much money. I know it's not my money, but it's also the salary. If there wasn't a salary cap, I wouldn't care because Dan Gilbert's the second richest, second richest owner in American sports. But with the salary cap, I think spending more than 20 million a year is a lot for a guy like Colin Sexton, even though the Cavs could have badly needed him this year, especially in the playoffs or especially in the play. And I mean, but it was, I guess to round it out, I don't know what's going to be the answer at shooting guard. unless I mean, it could be Karis Levert if they re-sign Colin Sexton. And then again, they could re-sign Colin Sexton. I think as a restricted free agent, they could probably do a sign and trade. So if another team's going to, and by the way, restricted free agent means that the Cavs can match whatever offer is given to Colin Sexton. But then again, if they don't want to offer it, I think they'll do a sign and trade. That way they, they get someone back in return for him. But then if they sign Colin Sexton, there's probably no point in having Karis Avert on the team. So I think this offseason, one of my predictions is that Colin Sexton and Karis Avert both will not be on the team next year. It'll be one or the other. Is and one of them will get traded. It will either be a sign and trade or Karis Averts and expire and that too. I mean, maybe they do keep both and Karis Averts an expiring contract at the deadline. So that's that could be a bargaining chip too. It's just the Cavs. That's what makes this offseason so exciting. One because of how well the Cavs were the, play this year and like they have like their key pieces. Like you said, they have three stars and a lot of good role players. Well, like they have a lot of pieces that they didn't get a chance to see this year. And they have a lot of pieces that they can trade away or use to build even like 
the I I know we have we're not gonna talk about this yet. Um in this podcast, you know we're freaking 46 minutes in already. But the NBA draft. So the NBA draft, the Cavs traded a protected first round pick for Karis Levert. Since the Cavs did not make the playoffs, they get that pick back. It converts to a 2023 first round pick. A protected first round pick, my bad. Um so right now, I mean they that that first round pick, maybe that's their starting shooting guard. It's just one of those things where like I know you said starting shooting guard is this biggest question heading into the offseason. And there's like so many different avenues they can take to answer that question, I guess. And I'll stop talking because I just ranted for way too long. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Yeah, not to mention like Teddy Osman, who I mean, where what's going to happen with him? Where's he going to go? He's still on the books for next year too. Doghouse. Uh, yeah, I mean, jeez, it's it's tough because you're you're he's not making a ton of money, but for for what he's making, uh, you, you know, you want some production. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought a couple of things about you know just general season thoughts too. I think um, I'm going to float a spicy name out to you. Um, but I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna wait for like a minute because I want to hit on a couple of things, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the spicy on, name. Just just let let this be like a lead in. What team is he on currently? Ooh, he. Uh, let me give you this. He's playing in the playoffs right now. I know there's a lot of options, but right, so little, that's one half the league. Damn it. Yep, a little teaser. As soon as I say the team, you'll know it. So I'll I'll, I'll keep it with. He's playing in the Western Conference playoffs right now. Man, there Devin Booker little, would sure look good on the Cavs, huh? Little teaser, yeah. Um, I, you know, I thought Luke like Don Church and Devin Booker, give it to me, <laughs> give it, give it up. <laughs> um, I, I thought the, you know, for a long stretch of this season, the Cavs had a a top, uh, a top leading getter in terms of coach of the year. I think JB was coach of the month one year this season. I just thought the job that JB did, um, th- there was so much fun this year and. He had the guys playing hard. I mean, numerous players came out and said, you know, JB's like a father to them. I mean, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's anything bad I can say about the JB connecting with this young team and him getting them to play hard. Like I, I just thought JB did an incredible job culturally getting them to play hard. We've seen coaches for the Cavaliers in not so recent past, um, Blatt, Beeline, amongst others that you know, guys didn't look like they were having fun. Hold on, let me just interrupt you. I I can't not laugh when you mentioned John Beeline. That literally <laughs> seems like decades ago. Doesn't it? That's just crazy. It doesn't even feel real that he coached in Cleveland. But Oh, my gosh. What a retirement I mean, party for him. But, yeah, continue. That is how they get a laugh when he said that. Yeah, those were some tough years. But, I, I mean, just culturally, like, wow, things have really changed. <laughs> um so I, I think for one, JB did an incredible job. And, and then secondly, I'll st- I'll stick with the non-player comment here in terms of thoughts on the offseason. You know, I, I think they had a bit of uh they had a bit of their hands tied behind their back with a couple of these, but I you know, I don't think the Cavs necessarily helped themselves tremendously with their in-season acquisitions. If you think about, you know, picking up Rajon Rondo, 
Um, he had a really tough go in the Hawks game. He wasn't healthy uh, for, for much of his time here, which isn't a surprise. He's, what, a 36, 37-year-old point guard. Uh, and then Levert, it's kind of the same story. I mean, that you, I don't think you can sit here today and say that that Levert trade worked out for the Cavs this season. Um, Colby Altman talked about in his, in his post game today that he took pressure off. And when I say he, I mean, Karis Levert took pressure off Darius Garland, but I, I don't think there's any way you can say that trade was successful for the Cavs this season. Um, luckily they're, they're going to convey their own first round pick. Um, and, and just really quick tidbit on that pick. If the Cavs miss the playoffs again next year, then they'll they'll still get that pick. But if the Cavs make the playoffs next year, that then the Cavs' first round pick goes to Indiana next year. If the Cavs miss the playoffs next year, they keep their pick, and then that first round gets turned into two second round picks the following year. So right. there's still so congrats to business. Indiana on getting the Cavs' first round pick next year. There you congrats. go. Yep, exactly. And if, and if they talking- miss it. If the Cavs don't make the playoffs next year, that's like, yeah, if the Cavs, it's one of those things where, like, I'm not going to bring up the Browns in this Cavs podcast, but it's, I mean, both both teams, if they don't make the playoffs, then it could get ugly. Yep, 100%. Expectations are real next year. Kobe was asked that at his press, you know, postseason conference today. Expectations are, are going to be a bitch next year. Teams are not going to be surprised by what the Cavs do next season. Um, so th- that was my parting thought in terms of the front office. Like, their hands were tied behind their back with the amount of injuries, just two swings that I don't think really helped them much this year. Um, I don't know. I don't know what other moves were out there to be had. Would it, would Gordon, would Eric Gordon have been a better pickup than Levert? Yeah, probably would a Gary Harris been better. I don't know. Maybe a little, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to look in hindsight now, but you know, Karis and, and Rajan both had injury concerns before the Cavs picked them up. They had them here for damn sure. And, and I just thought that was, that was tough. You know, if I had one negative, I'd say, man, if they would have made one or two different moves, maybe this season turns out a little bit differently. But back to the spicy. So back to those moves. I think for Jean Rondo was like, a, oh, shit, we need a backup point guard move. 100%. And they, I don't even know what they gave up for him, but it was like a basket of freaking popcorn. Denzel, Denzel Valentine. Denzel Valentine. Oh, that's right. Wow. <laughs> I forgot. All right. So they gave up Denzel Valentine for him. Nothing. I think he got bought out by that team anyway, or released or whatever by that team anyways. So, yeah, I think that was like an, oh, shit, we need a backup point guard now move without giving up much of anything. And, and then, I mean, we all know Karis LeVert didn't turn out to be the player that we wanted to this season. But I think part of that was due to the fact that he didn't get many practices with the team. And then once he came here, all the injuries started piling up. And I know right when we the Cavs acquired him, we had a podcast, and you went in depth and said that his biggest strength is pick and roll. There's a reason why Karis LeVert struggled so much when Jared Allen went down, because the Cavs literally didn't – Jared Allen's one of the best pick and roll guys in the league. I hope Evan Mobley turns into a very good pick and roll guy sooner rather than later. Kevin Love is a good pick and pop guy. He's not really a good pick and roll guy. But like if your number one game offensively is pick and roll, and like soon after you arrive, Jared Allen gets hurt. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for Karis Avert, but the biggest and best part of his game he was basically down his best pick and roll guy. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not making excuses, but I I would just like to see what he would have been able to do 
if Jerry Allen doesn't get hurt. But now let's continue to this player. And by the way, I when you were talking, I was looking at the NBA standings. Can I have two guesses? Absolutely. Wait, is it trade or pickup? You're muted, by the way. Shoot. Sorry about that. It would need to be a trade. And I would just say this guy has had some frustrations with his team. Oh, shoot. So it's if not DeJounte to, to yeah. Murray with the Spurs. That is my dream, by the way. Oh, my gosh. DeJounte Murray. Oh, my gosh. That would be incredible. Um, Man, I think it was either going to be DeJounte Murray or uh, Brandon Ingram. But I don't think Brandon Ingram's too angry with his Pelicans team either since they're in the playoffs now. Yeah, this this is an absolute dream scenario. It's not going to happen, but I'm going to be watching if if his team loses in the first round. Oh wait, hold, just give me the team. Although if you give me the team, it's to be easy guess. So just say it, I guess. Yeah. So this isn't going to happen again. But if I'm dreaming, the Cavaliers are a legitimate primary scoring shooting guard away from being an absolute juggernaut in my opinion in the east a guy that can take pressure off Darius Garland a guy that can score anytime he wants to he lit up Cleveland uh earlier this year Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz he doesn't like his team he's now now that you say that that was such an easy guess when you said doesn't like his team I would say doesn't like Rudy Gobert but yeah, that's his team too. Very I think. Accurate. By the way, I know you can talk because you this is your idea, but I saw his tweet about like how many passes Donovan Mitchell has given to Rudy Gobert this season. The fact that that stat's even out there and like a thing shows you how big that rift is. But continue. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where you know I I was browsing and like you and I are going to talk about this all summer. Like I we don't need to get too far into I mean draft, free agency, all that, but just just kind of having a little bit of fun. This is a guy who has been unhappy with his team for a couple years. They've continued to flounder out in the playoffs. He doesn't like playing with Rudy Gobert, and I'm just if if you thought of a a place you could go right now where you'd have the defensive protection and help that you would want to get. You're thinking about Darius Garland and, and Jared Allen. And then think about playing next to a guy with Darius Garland, who you know is going to draw a ton of attention. I mean, to me, that, that if you take out the Cleveland part, some guys don't just straight up don't want to play in Cleveland. Maybe they want to go play for the Knicks or a big market. But in terms of like team, I cannot think of a much better position to be in than um, than the one in Cleveland with this young rising team. And he's in the Western Conference, so the Jazz probably will not send him somewhere else in the West if he demands out. It's crazy. It's not going to happen, but it had to float it out there. It's spicy, and oh, man, if that happened, I'm – If that happened, you better clip this little part right here. Clip it, baby. And by the way, man, now you have me, now you have me thinking positive things. No I've got no sources. That's completely made up scenario. <laughs> By the way, he's in the first year of a five-year, one hundred sixty-three million dollar deal. By the way, speaking of one hundred sixty-three million and three hundred dollars, I wonder if that three hundred dollars is like the bargaining chip. Like, I'll I won't do one hundred sixty-three million, but if you throw in that three hundred bucks, I'll do it. But Karis, Karis, Okoro, and three first-round picks. Does that get it done? Man, uh, Cleveland, 
I guess since the Browns just traded three first round picks, Cass might as well do it too, huh? <laughs> All in, baby. But no, I I'm I'm having fun. Like, you know, that, we're gonna no, talk about I like that. Off season, I do but... like that. And the Cavs are used to having an undersized two guard, so it's perfect. Yeah, it won't change too much. Yeah, <laughs> but an absolute dynamic score, man. He can shoot from the outside. He can dribble drive. He he is just he's an elite um, scoring shooting guard. I'm not gonna get my hopes up, but a sign and trade that if if this were to happen, which we will clip it and be famous because Seth just called it out on freaking April 19th, but um, a sign and trade with Colin Sexton would be the starting point, I think. I don't think you included Tom Sexton in that trade that you just said, but that would be the starting point. I'm not saying that they're two similar players, but they're both the same height. Colin Sexton is a good offensive player. That would be a good billing block. You'd have to match salaries. It would be it'd probably be Colin Sexton, Okoro, Jetty, and however many picks. But, oh, man, that's, I need to stop getting my hopes up now. Because, like you said, I mean – yeah, that'd be a very undersized backcourt. But with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley down low, that sort of blankets the um, inefficiencies defensively at that size. Yeah, he. I think he averaged this season like a steal and a half per game. I did a little bit of a deep dive on him. His defensive metrics aren't as bad as, as you'd think, being only six one. Yeah, it was – I mean, it, the, the interesting thing I think that Kobe has this offseason – is he's got a lot of ammo, man. He's got a lot of he's got picks galore, second rounds. He's got all you know all the all the first rounds, and then he's got like you said earlier, he's got all these guys that make a nice chunk of money, like Laurie, Lavert, Sexton, um, Osman, Okoro, Love. All Kevin Love, I'd say Kevin Love. Boom. I'll let you go back, but Kevin Love is now on an expiring contract. By the way, yeah, you have to keep that in mind too. Yes, yeah. I love Kevin Love, and we'll talk about him too for six man, but. Him being an expiring contract is also interesting. But yeah, they, they've got all these tradable pieces. And I think that's going to be the one interesting thing is there's two paths the Cavs could take at this point. Let the young guys continue to build out and see what their ceiling can be. Or you you know you have three stars with your team. You go make a splash play and get that one guy, man, you're cooking. So I'll I'll stop dreaming over here um, and stop getting into like stuff that's not going to happen for four months away. But um, man, it's gonna it's gonna be a hell of an off season. I think there's two really significant paths that Kobe could take, and I can't wait to see what you know which path he's gonna go down. Yeah, I think of I mean in a playoff rotation, you play eight, I eight maybe nine guys. I know the Cavs just played freaking eight guys, and the bench combined for like let's see, the bench three players on the bench combined to play thirty seven minutes and had nine points. So obviously you need, no matter how good your stars are, you need a lot more production from the bench. Yes. Part of that is JB only playing Kevin love like 10 minutes, but that's beside the point. We already recap the Cavs game or the Hawks loss. Man, I can't get over down the Mitchell now. Um, but I guess now, so we, we recap the season. It's like, it's one of those. We're not mad. We're just disappointed with how it ended it was in the grand scheme of things. It was one heck of a year. I will, the Cavs became appointment television this year, which is something that, that I was not expecting. I mean, uh, last week, the wor- like I said, the worst-case scenario was the ber- best-case scenario in early September, early October, whatever it was. Um, Yeah, and like you just said, the Cavs have so much ammo to work with this offseason. I think we all know they need a better 
shooting guard, which we just discussed. Um, they also need a shot, not only more shooters. Shoot, you can never have too many shooters. I mean, look at the freaking Golden State Warriors, and now they have Jordan Poole too, and Steph Curry coming off the bench with 34 points in like 23 minutes last night. So they need a shooting, a starting shooting guard, more shooters. And you can never have too many playmakers and shot creators. And I think the Cavs need all four of those things. Yeah, when we talked about it a lot last episode, but when you look at the Atlanta Hawks team, I mean, Trey Young has got capable shooters and some, you know, tertiary playmaking around him. That's exactly what Atlanta has with Bogdanovich, with Herder, with Hunter. Um, as many capable wings that can shoot the ball would be fantastic. And also backup center. I mean, that was, that was a hole that I think this, you know, this stretch proved that we, we as in the Cavalier fans do not want Evan Mobley forced to play the five. Um, and JB didn't do that the entire time. Sometimes he played Mobley at the five when Jared couldn't go. Sometimes he paid Lori, but a, a capable backup five would be just huge. Um, because things were really not going well <laughs> when Jared Allen was out and, and the Cavs had to play either Lowry or Mobley at, at the five. So backup point guard, it'll be interesting to see one, if Ricky Rubio wants to come back Two, if he can heal from that torn ACL, I know his agent might be a little bit tougher, but he is obviously, he, I mean, he proved during prior to injury, he is the perfect backup point guard for this team. And he's a perfect guy, not only to be a backup, but to play alongside Darius Garland. I think as a two-man lineup, they had the best efficiency together, Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio. Definitely on the team, but I think like with the minute restrictions, I think it was one of the best in the league as well. So it'll be interesting to see if, one, if he wants to come back, and two, what kind of price that would be. He would. He's my answer for backup point guard, though, let's be honest. Backup big, I would have to look. But, yeah, you are right. They need a legitimate backup center. I don't know if it's like Hartenstein. Hartenstein. Uh, I know he was on the Cavs, but then he signed with the Clippers. He would have been a solid backup big, but like not not a guy that like has to be really good, but just like a fifteen to twenty minute a night guy that you can count on to defend the paint and grab rebounds and store like five to ten points. Not even ten points, like five to seven points. So I I don't know, but yeah, you're right. The three biggest needs this offseason, shooting guard, starting shooting guard, um, whether that's Donovan Mitchell. Harris. <laughs> All right, so whether it's Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Colin Sexton, you need a le- legitimate shooting guard, starting shooting guard. More shot creators because the more shot creators and the more shot make three-point shooters you have on the court, the easier it is for Darius Garland, both as a shooter and as a passer. And then a backup center. And I mean, like we both just have been discussing, the Cats have a lot of ammo. They, uh, and speaking of the draft, so right now the Cats had the 14th, the worst odds in the draft lottery because they finished with the best record that did not make the playoffs. So they had the 14th best odds out of 14. They have a 97.6% chance to get the 14th pick. But with their luck in the lottery, if May 17th comes around and the Cavs are not announced as getting the 14th pick with that near 98% chance, they automatically get a top four pick. Oh, my gosh. NBA Twitter would literally explode and be so angry and pissed off at the Cavs and with the top four pick, by the way. 
it already feels weird that they're picking in the lottery this year based on how well things went and the fact True. that they won that many games. So, uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, the, the NBA would, would have a hard time living that one down if the Cavs snuck up. I can just see, like, oh, man. With the 14th pick in the 2022 NBA draft, it will be selected by, I mean, who has the 13th best odds? What if they literally announce, oh, the Charlotte Hornets, I would. I think we would have an emergency draft lottery podcast. Honestly, I mean that that would be an absolute game changer. Just just like it was with Mobley and and everyone else, Kyrie back in the day when they they jumped up and got him. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Yeah. So, and, but looking ahead to May seventeenth, which is about a week from now, or a week from now, a month from now, um, if they do not get selected with the fourteenth pick, they automatically jump into the top four. Please give it to me, please. Please, NBA draft gods. Um, but yeah, they this offseason, I mean, it's hard to talk about uh, often a lot about the offseason, but we could literally do this podcast weekly and have plenty to talk about just because, one, the excitement, and two, there's just so much stuff to talk about. I mean, whether it's free agents, the holes that the Cavs need to fill, how they can fill them, the NBA draft, NBA Mac drafts, who the Cavs could go, could go after in the NBA draft. We probably won't start talking too much NBA draft though, or mock drafts until after May 17th is my guess. Cause there's no point. I mean, if the cast had the 14th pick, it's one thing, but then the mock drafts totally changed with the cast have the top four pick. And now I'm just getting my hopes up that the cats can somehow get Donovan Mitchell in the top four pick, but that's not going to happen either. So thanks. Thanks Seth. I appreciate it. Now, maybe if the Cavs jump up to the top four, then that just helps them all the way. Oh, and there's a sighting from my dog, Toby. So that's interesting. <laughs> Toby, Toby's all in. Incredible for him to get a, a, a sight on the pod here. So, yeah. Speaking awesome. of, though, if the Cavs imagine the trade ship that they'd have if they have a top four pick this year, though, that'd be huge. That'd be absolutely huge. And give it to me May 17th, probably about this time. I can just hear the Charlotte Hornets select 14th. The Cavs have jumped in the, into the top four. I can just hear NBA Twitter going crazy right now. It'd be absolutely bonkers, and uh, we deserve it. I mean, I, I think that's safe to say we deserve it. We deserve some lottery luck. When do we get lottery luck? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, we never get lottery luck. I mean, Kyrie Irving, LeBron, Evan Mobley. Well, although Evan Mobley was that lottery luck? Didn't he have the fourth best odds? We jumped one spot. Yeah, it jumped like one or two. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, yeah. I think to your point, like we we could spend. I mean, there's so much internal growth to be had with this team that we could spend every. There could be a daily podcast talking about what does a crow need to focus on, what does Mobley need to focus. Like, there's so much to dive into, but I think we'll we'll keep it probably a little bit more surface level than that, and, and hit the big items coming up, like the draft, free agency. But the one thing that's that's going to be so much fun to break down is like there's some serious decisions to be made. I mean, with Lavert, with Sexton, we already talked about it, but um, the one thing i'll say kobe's been aggressive as hell i mean he has he has gone out and gotten some guys he's made some splashy moves um that that's one thing that doesn't feel very i'm not concerned about like staying the path and and that not being the the best option like i, I think kobe's gonna stay aggressive and keep doing his thing so I, I feel very comfortable with kobe and jb and i can't wait it's like we said early on whatever moves they make i'm riding with yeah, I mean, trusting Kobe, right? Because he hasn't done too much of anything. I mean, yeah, you can blame the Kyrie Vert and Rondo trade. They didn't turn out to be exactly what they wanted to be. But like I said, injuries suck. 
there's a reason why Karras struggled so much, and part of that was Jared Allen, Jared Allen being out. Um, but yeah, they have so much ammo this offseason. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Karras. He has one year left on his deal. Colin Sexton, the free, uh, restricted free agent. Kevin Love, one year left on his deal. Jetty Osman, I know he still has a couple years left, but if he's still in the doghouse, he might get traded somehow. It's this they, it, at full strength. This Cavs team is very, very um, deep, I guess you'd call it. So maybe this offseason they try to use some of those deeper trade or deeper roster spots to go from like his. Let's be honest, if, at full strength, you could easily go like. 11 or 12 players deep during the regular season doing playoffs you obviously can't so maybe they use some of those deeper bench guys to trade two for one i guess per se just because you have such a deep team i don't know i'm just trying to think but like yeah i it'll just be interesting to see what they do with karis avert if they trade him if he's still around next year colin sexton if one, they offer him a deal before offer him an extension before anyone else does. I think they're going to let him test free agency though, and just like try to ride that out. And then that'll be interest, interesting to see too. What does another team offer Colin Sexton as a restricted free agent? And if the Cavs either match it or if he's uh, it's a sign in trade, which I'd assume it would be if the Cavs do not want to match it. And then just the development of the big the Cavs big three which is crazy to say Darius Garland Evan Mobley Jared Allen I cannot wait to see their maturation and their development heading into the next October I think I mean that's be a scary sight for opponents and one heck of a sight for us I there's just so much to look forward to this offseason I guess that's what I'm trying to say in the grand scheme of things uh Seth any final thoughts yeah, final thoughts is Evan Mobley has a brother, Isaiah Mobley, who declared for the draft, so look out. Maybe maybe the maybe the Cavaliers Ooh. are gonna have the Mobley brothers here moving forward. maybe the that's the center moving forward. <laughs> um but in in all seriousness, um, you know, I just like thank you everyone for listening. Josh and I kind of caught on midway through the season, but it was a lot of fun um, you know, being able to do this at least once a week, if not a little bit more. Um, and there's so much to be excited about that. I don't know. I wouldn't pick many teams above the Cleveland Cavaliers to hitch my wagon to right now. Like right now appears to be such a great road roadmap to continued success for the next five plus years. Um, knock on wood, everything stays well, but like in terms of growth and what's coming for this team, wow, man, it's so much fun. And just thanks for, you know, I can't, can't wait to keep seeing what happens this off season, hell of a year and i'm already ready for for next season next october yeah i don't want to wish away summer because summer is awesome but i can't wait for next nba season just for the Cavs. i guess my final thoughts are it was one heck of a season i love doing this podcast during the season i can't wait to see what it leads to this offseason and uh next season as well uh going forward i know this is basically this has been a Cavs weekly podcast given the fact that it was literally called the Cavs weekly podcast up until like two weeks ago we will most likely go every other week during the offseason unless something breaking happens. And then we'll do like an emergency podcast like the Cavs trade for Donovan Mitchell or something. I don't know. I so, Someone told me that that could happen. Just I don't, I'm not going to names. So, yeah, we'll probably go every other week unless we have something to talk about. Like, say, if we don't plan on going next week, but if we have something to talk about, 
we'll probably hop on here and talk about it. There's no holding us back from podcasting. So we'll probably see you in a couple of weeks. The cat, the playoffs will be middle of the second round, maybe the third round by then. But thank you for always tuning in, you guys, whether it's live or wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever. We appreciate it always. And yeah, it was a disappointing end to a great season for the Cavaliers. And I cannot wait for this offseason because it's going to be very exciting. And then next October and beyond is going to be even more exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and by the way, we will also have guests on uh, probably starting next podcast. For now, it's just me and Seth just because it's just who it's been. But, yeah, we'll probably have, especially during this offseason, we'll definitely have more and more guests on as well. So we can't wait to have those guys on. And just looking forward to a very exciting offseason and hopefully next season as well. So thanks, as always, for joining us. And as usual, go Cavs. Let's go, Kobe. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 